Welcome to Buffy Boyfriends. We're boyfriends watching Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, here today, talking season two, episode seventeen, Passion. I'm the Slayer super fan, Sam, and I'm the first time watcher, Mike, and I'm fucking pissed off. <laughs> I was concerned and excited, knowing I, like all week leading up to you finally watching this episode. Oh, what a moment in history! Yeah, and it's not a moment I want to remember at all. I'm going to blink this memory from my mind the second we finish recording. Yeah, I feel like this is a major turning point in the life of any Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. Uh, how just You watched this episode like 15 minutes ago. What, how, how are you feeling? What are you thinking? What are you, what are, what are you going through? You know, on one hand, yeah. Uh, I'm really upset that a character I love and cherish is dead um, and that she is her death is being used to further the emotional journey of a man. Uh, big 90s energy there. Um, but on the other hand, I do, you know, having like it it just it does seem like a big turning point for the series. It seems like the first it's like the first big character death of the show. Um, it seems like the first time any of these characters like really cared about a death in the show, um, even when like their quote unquote friends have been dying. Um, and I think it just sort of we're entering a new era. It cemented Angel as like the villain. Um, I mean, it it was a well-made episode, I'll give it that, but I'm not happy. Which I guess is a credit to the show for making me care about Jenny so much. Yeah. It just, feel, I, like, for all the reasons you said, I feel like it just comes sort of out of nowhere, where yeah. it's a show about people, like, it's like, people die, sure, but it's always people who we've never, like, I guess before this, the most major character who died was principal flutie and it's like that was a joke the hyenas ate him and like nobody cared and he got replaced by a better character like the next episode <laughs> but like didn't really matter um but you know this one really feels like it'll have reverberations yeah i was just oh why couldn't they kill xander he was right there true um yeah i guess xander never invited angel into his house uh <laughs> But we well, he didn't yeah. have a sign out front that said, "All who seek knowledge, please enter." Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we can get to the logistics of that. I, well, but to me, it's sort of like he could have been like, "This is a public school," <laughs> not <laughs> saying stuff in Latin. Um, but uh, we are not alone this week, patient. And I'm sorry for everybody who tunes in to hear about our lives uh my sister got married this weekend but jenny calendar died so who cares about that uh we life we gives are, and life takes exactly uh take life uh we're joined by one of my bitter jurors podcast co-hosts uh co-host of shadow play gaze co-host of the stanuatu podcast uh i mean just host of that one uh writer for inside survivor uh canadian expat it is christine fallon hello hello i am so sad to be here to send off um an incredible woman uh, in jimmy calendar but so happy to be here with the titular bucky boyfriends because i do 
this this episode's a banger in in the sense of like you guys talked about this like feels like truly like such a major turning point in the show like uh surprise and innocence are obviously like the the moments you know angel going bad is like the like landmark moment of buffy in the early seasons but this to me this is the moment of like setting the stakes and i yeah so excited to be here i completely agree because like up until this point angel being bad has been kind of like a concept and but like buffy had like a rocket launcher and it was kind of goofy but now it like has had real consequences yeah like buffy does this i like throughout the show sees like moments of like no this is not like a safe little show we like kind of the first time was that, that was of course in the season one finale of like buffy dying for a second um even if that didn't end up sticking that's kind of like oh shit like she can die and it's like oh this main character angel who we like can become evil and it's like oh he's not just evil for the plot like he's going to be evil in a way that like will tangibly change like, <laughs> the meme about like change the trajectory of their lives forever by traumatizing yes. them it's like, what exactly what happens here and he was on the the trauma roller coaster tonight he yeah. really stepped it all up a notch he was <laughs> he was having fun traumatizing <laughs> this episode did bring back a like suppressed memory so angel's monologue in this episode about passion I I've uncovered that I learned that for my like uh high school drama class <laughs> when I was like 15. I was like, why does this I was like, why is this so familiar? Like, why is this in my head? And and then I realized I definitely did that. This is one of two Buffy monologues I did. Uh no, I think I did three Buffy monologues in my high school um <laughs> drama class. This is the only one you have heard so far though, so I will not speak on them more specifically as to not uh, spoil Michael. Which, I mean, okay, don't say anything, but I, I'm excited to find out what those are eventually. I'll, I'll text, I can text you off pod. I won't okay. make you wait that long. Sure. Um, I also just felt like this episode just, and I guess I, this might have been confirmation bias because I already knew it going in, but this was like directed by a guy who had never directed an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer before, mm -hmm. Michael Gershman. He yeah. was like a cinematographer, but this was his first time director. And then it was also written by Ty King, who had only written one episode before this. Uh, and it's not even an episode that I felt was particularly good. Some assembly required about the like Frankenstein monster guy. Mm. And so like, I don't know. They just, I, it, there was something, there was something in the water. in this episode. They were like, why don't we go out there and slay? <laughs> and they did. Slay they did. But this is another one where I'm kind of surprised that like, Joss didn't want to write this one because like I f he gave so many like pivotal moment episodes in this season so far to Marty Noxon and it's just kind of like would have figured that he would have wanted to do this but suppose not. Mm. Maybe if he people he was metagaming he was like if people knew mm. Marty's writing this episode they're gonna have high expectations but if I give it to the Frankenstein guy they're not gonna see this coming. <laughs> No, because I think also the another really jarring thing about this episode is when in the episode the Jenny Calendar death happens. It's not at the top of the episode, you know, would be that'd be crazy. But like you, in my mind, I always I've seen this episode at least like seven or eight times. In my mind, it, it, I'm like, oh, this this like Giles discovers her body, and then that's the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. 
but it's like the fact that there's still like those it have she dies like halfway through the episode pretty much and there's still like a 10 12 minutes left in the episode when Giles discovers her is another not a, not a so subversion but like you're totally it's like oh shit like he actually just snapped her neck and we have like half the episode left I agree that I forget that that happened, but I do kind of feel like it's because the rest of the episode isn't something isn't like as good as the start yeah. of the episode. <laughs> it really, I would, I do think it would have been really crazy if they just ended it on him finding her body. Um, but I, I, I guess he needed his moment. Um, but it's still an interesting like place in the episode to have that happen because it's kind of like, oh shit, okay, we're doing this. We're doing the most major character deaths thus far, right in the middle of the episode. Well, yeah, and I, I feel like it is an intentional choice on the show because they want you to think she's going to get away in the mm -hmm. chase. Um, and they they do fake you out when she throws the like janitor's cart into him and she gets up the stairs. And I, I was watching it. She goes around the corner and you're like, oh, Angel's not up yet. Like she's yeah. like, But no, he was just playing with her, mm -hmm. playing with his food. Yeah, I feel like the chase sequence is just long enough. You're like, oh my god, how is she going to get out of this? Like, I can't believe Buffy's about to show up and rescue her. Like, how did she know to come? <laughs> <laughs> kind of like at the end of the episode when Buffy just shows up at the vampire lair. True, but they found the they they sort of put put, put the pieces. It's her together. job to show up at vampire lairs, <laughs> like. <laughs> My major complaint, like, okay, so what happens, Giles finds the, like, Jenny dead, he gets all his weapons, he goes. He's, like, beating up Angel, Angel's beating him up, whatever. But he's, like, Angel's about to choke Buffy, Giles out. Buffy shows up, and then, like, Spike and Drew just, like, roll on out of there. <laughs> they don't help or, like, do anything. They're just, like, bye. <laughs> Spike does not care. He's ready for Angel to die. Uh, we've known that for a while. <laughs> But yeah, you would think Drew would be interested. She seems to like playing them off of each other. So definitely, Spike really wanted Angel to be evil again until the exact second Angel became evil again, and now he's like, "Can you go back to being good?" <laughs> the threesome is not exactly what he expected. <laughs> not at all. But I did feel like in this episode there was further sexual tension between them a lot a 100%. lot a lot drew definitely makes them kiss <laughs> just kiss them just kiss she's, them. Just kiss. she's <laughs> like if you want to if you really love me you really want to show me affection you guys will you'll Go kiss <laughs> there's this part when like angel and Sp angel spike are like digging at each other and angels making fun of spike that like he's like i'm sleeping with drusilla now but like he's like what his line is like if there's anything i can do for you that i'm not already doing that is it's like and they he's like leaning over spike and like his like it, they really feel like they're about to make out yeah angel is definitely offering to suck his dick at the very least i concur I with that I agree. I, yeah, banging my gavel. It is, it is so. It is. Um, I yeah. I had forgotten about the whole like. De obviously, I remember this. I forgot about their whole like industrial like um, threesome house. With um, <laughs> but like Spike hates it. Um, no, it's it's a very good uh, a good relationship dynamic of like. 
um, <laughs> just how how not into it uh, Spike is anymore. Very fun. I love a team of evil people. One evil person is just not as fun as like uh, Queen Barrel's generals or Team Rocket <laughs> that these vampire trio have become. Like, yeah, varying degrees of evil because it's like also the whole angel becoming very evil of it all is funny because he just becomes, when he like facts, he becomes the most evil. Like, exactly. Spike is just, you know, like he's bad, but he's not that evil. Drusilla's evil in a like weird, like wayfish way. And then Angel is just the most evil. Like, I mean, I don't know if you two, like in the and the episodes preceding this discussed how funny of a curse it is that Angel because I'm just okay, you're not the mechanics like, truly This is an audio medium. We're nodding. Yes. Yes, they're yes. like, nodding back. We talked about it because it like simply is the worst curse of all time. It's like if you, it's not that he can't fuck. It's like you can't fuck. If he if he's just gonna like because cause a lot of problems. I don't know if you've either of you have seen the Hong Kong uh, movie uh, The Seventh Curse, but it is um, uh, similarly a man. It's like Indi Hong Kong Indiana Jones, but like hornier and more horror. And the the Indiana Jones man gets blood cursed, and it's whenever he gets horny, his blood explodes. And if it happens seven times, I think is the thing he'll die like that's a good curse like if you get horny your blood explodes right um i think they needed to the take you know this are just there's more spells in that book look for a different one you would think that it'd be like if he's ever happy for a second he dies yeah exactly <laughs> um but no and but yeah back to like the villains being varying degrees of villains like spike wants to kill buffy sure but like just cut because she's a slayer not passionate about it angel wants to like like obliterate buffy's mind and then kill her and drew is just like a normal vampire like caught up in the wind of it like she's only there because spike wants to be there but like otherwise she's just like killing people and sucking their blood and like eating puppies She's just along for the ride. She did mm -hmm. not eat that puppy, or did she? I feel it like was it was I feel like it was implied that she might want to, but it was really not, for Spike. Not my no, not my Drusilla. No. But like that's after the scene, one of them probably no. killed the puppy. No, that's not my that's not my vision. No. I didn't see a puppy carcass. That's not my head cannon. It was under Giles' bed. Mm. <laughs> mm. Um, we the start of this episode introduces sort of a theme of the episode, like angels watching from the like the darkness of the bronze while Xander, Willow, and Buffy are like dancing, and then we go home and Buffy's going to sleep, and like bu then Buffy's asleep, it's dark. Angel like caresses her face, and then she wakes up with like a charcoal drawing of herself sleeping. Very creepy. Um, but Angel has learned some art over the last two and a half centuries um hit his drawing skills very lifelike um so when we when the episode started i kind of thought it was a flashback to when buffy and xander were doing their sexy dance earlier in the season i'm like oh is this just like angel's perspective from seeing that because i couldn't really remember if he was in that scene or not um but no, it wasn't because then the next scene or like the next cut is like Xander and Cordelia like walking arm in arm and then just like Buffy and Willow hanging out. 
And that seems like a weird dynamic to me. This whole opening is is so interesting because it's like Angel up until now has occupied this like weird space of the narrative of like he's not in the group, but he's not not in the group, and he's this sort of like outside figure looking out for them, like chasing tips. I remember the first season, it's a lot of Angel will look into that. Um, and now that's with him, his like turn to being getting fucked and getting evil is it just he's doing the same thing but it's becomes it's so much more threatening like he's occupying the same space in the narrative of like being kind of just on the outskirts of the main characters but it just the way they're able to flip that so quickly to become so terrifying um and to like change to that presence of like knowing he's like the tuxedo mask of it all like he could come in and help out and then it's now it's that's just so much more sinister uh now that he's obviously become evil like that's not very profound to be like he's evil now and everything's scary but it's just in terms of the way he's still like occupying the same space no totally because i feel like up until he turned evil there were a lot of similar shots of him standing on the other side of the in a dark corner of the bronze boat just like with a different look on his <laughs> face and now that he's like smiling menacingly it's scary yeah, exactly. <laughs> Draining bronze goers in plain sight. Um, the most upsetting part, like, like, yes, his like lurking and everything is upsetting. Um, the the way that with um, because when Buffy's explain having to explain all this to be behavior to her mom. That whole like having like having to cast him as just like an abusive boyfriend, I'd forgotten about that, and that is just so like ugh, because it's like literally like it's such a human like evil um, of just like oh he's just like this really shitty guy um, that's like very like banal. Buffy also this show does this really well sometimes of like pulling in these like very normal horrors without speaking too more much more specifically but like there's some stuff in the later seasons that like don't necessarily track as like horror fantasy magic material but it's like some of the scary stuff that happens in the show is like the most like normal things and so just watching Buffy have to like uncomfortably explain to her mom like this like abusive guy and like the way he's interacting with her mom knowing like that's what her understanding of it Ugh, I think that's one that's part of this episode that like really got me. It was just like, I mean, he lets literally what he's being is an abusive ex-boyfriend, but her mom just doesn't know to, to the extent, the cosmic extent of that, uh, that abusiveness. Absolutely. I, I, the scene between Joyce and Angel in this episode is so good. Like we have had moments in this season before where Joyce, it's so clear that Joyce loves Buffy so much, but like, this is like the longest, I would say confrontation between one of the villains and Joyce. Like, I feel like she's like gone up to against principal Snyder in the past. And like, she hit Spike in the head with an ax. And then a couple episodes, she was prepared to lie to the police for <laughs> Buffy's sake. Um, but like the like this one was the, I feel like the best, even though she like was the most unaware of the danger of the situation. Because yeah, like again, it doesn't even if, if like just on the face value, believing Buffy saying like that she she like 
even if he's just like a textbook abusive guy that's like super fucking dangerous and so it's, it's like a weird rare instance where joyce gets to be kind of clued in to how bad things are but just like not know why <laughs> like she's just given the wrong reason um which is like it's, it's nice because like like you said like you, we get to see that joyce cares about buffy so much but in all these she's just left in the dark so much um that she doesn't get those opportunities i agree but i i mean and mike you we were talking about this before but like or like before the podcast a like she does not express enough concern that buffy was dating a college guy <laughs> that's like i mean that's like a core problem of buffy <laughs> is the fact that like no one is like that concerned about the existence of angel even when he's good uh just lurking around yeah and i mean obviously I am not a, a mother of a teenage daughter, so I don't know how to like put myself in those shoes necessarily, but I found Joyce's reaction to like that that like initial conversation that where Buffy was sort of like disclosing, oh, I'm date I was dating this college guy and now he's like stalking me, but no, don't talk to him if he comes to the door. Like just get me and I'll tell him to go away. Like it seemed like Joyce did not react honestly in that situation. She's just like, uh, okay, Buffy, like this is kind of scary, but whatever. Yeah, <laughs> not whatever, but like I, yeah, no, it was uh conveniently moved on because it's a TV show. Yeah, exactly. That's like just the problem is like if we had Joyce acknowledge it within the narrative, <laughs> like this is really fucked up and um we should all be finding some concerns with this, then the whole thing falls apart because like the the reason we're supposed to still be invested in, you know, Buffy and Angel moving forward, even even if though though he's evil right now, it's like, oh, but they they're in love and like she can get him back or she can save him or like whatever. And it's like if we're like actually fundamentally, it's probably not good for them to be dating. We would have that would the whole thing would fall apart. So it's one of those things where it's like Joyce's reasonable reaction um, is very limited because if they were to give like a genuine reaction, it would um, put everything into question. Especially when she's like, well, has he he hasn't done anything, right? And Buffy's like, no, he's just been like hanging around a lot. Um, and you know, blah blah blah. And it's like, okay, so at best, this he's... like like maybe 20-year-old guy is stalking a 17-year-old girl. <laughs> like, maybe there, there's more to discuss here. I mean, I would have taken an entire episode of Joyce and Buffy talking about this. That would I agree. be compelling. I, I mean, and I feel like one of the best scenes of the episode is when Buffy and Joyce are like actually having a conversation about it. Um, because Angel in Joyce and his confrontation told her that he and Buffy had slept together, and so Joyce and her are like discussing it, and Joyce is like, Buffy, I'm so I'm used to you shutting me out. Like, I'm not surprised by that, but like you can't expect me to stop caring about you, like that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's like the most grounded real non-vampire discussion because Joyce doesn't know about vampires and that's what makes it really good because it's like just about the human level yeah and I and to sort of jump off of that point um I I guess I found it interesting that the the Scooby gang and Giles in particular were like so adamant about Buffy not talking about the truth with her mom it just felt 
like this was a very scary situation where Joyce was in real danger and I don't know I feel like in other I feel like they've been very liberal with who they've let into the group and their rules sort of change depending on who's writing the show this week <laughs> yeah that's fair it's like they they did let Oz in on the secret like a, like two episodes ago and it was like okay he's in the group now yeah. Maybe like another real adult being clued in besides just Giles and Jenny at this point would be helpful. Because like, I, I love Cordelia. I'm never going to say anything bad about her. But like, She is mother. We don't need another mother. We have mother. <laughs> exactly. You're, you've said it. You've said it all. <laughs> what were you going to say, Mike? I was going to say like, if it just feels weird that Joyce doesn't know anything at this point, um, mm -hmm. especially now that Angel has like directly attacked her um, and threatened her. I, th I think, I mean, I've been saying this in other episodes. I feel like season finale, season two, there is going to be like a Buffy and Joyce conversation about Buffy being the Slayer or like supernatural shit. And Joyce is going to be like, Buffy, you have some explaining to do. And then it's going to like cut to black for the end of the season. Major prediction from the lawless camp. But she, I mean, she's just been way more involved, like not involved necessarily, but in vampire-esque plots this season than she was in the first season. So, and, and she seems like a smart person. I feel like she can put some pieces together. If Oz can do it, You think Joyce is smarter than Oz? Yeah, <laughs> I do. I think kick, kick Oz out. Let Joyce be a, a permanent member of the Knowing About uh, Buffy Club. Um, yeah, Joyce, Joyce, I really... I Joyce is like an excellent TV mom, in my opinion. I just... She's just like... I If I remember correctly, they were like maybe even not going to have... Buffy had like a mom be like that was like really present in the show because they're like what do we if I remember correctly it was like kind of the question of like how, how do we even like have like parents involved in this um and um but it's just almost like I can't imagine these first few seasons without Joyce <laughs> like of just even just like the fact like yeah, yeah she is out of the loop um but it's just as a constant reminder of like what Buffy's life should be um, every time she comes home to Joyce. Like, Joyce's biggest concern should be about, like, the shitty guy Buffy's seeing. And so it's just the fact in this in this episode, what's so great is that, like, like as we said, Joyce is in the loop, but not. It just makes, like, that even more, like, crushing for Buffy of, like, I hate to see our girl suffer and I hate to see our girl sad, where it's just, but it's, like, of, like, oh, my life should just be um a shitty guy who won't leave me alone instead of this shitty guy who won't leave me alone and who's gonna kill my teacher and so scary like especially in context of the full episode like right after angel and joyce have their conversation basically the next scene angel goes and kills jenny yeah so like he could have killed her and knowing that like we've been constantly told like angel's mo is like he kills your family and then he kills you or like whatever just to torture you he kills your family and so like joyce is like the one who would be killed and so in this whole like long extended conversation where joyce and angel angel's like I'm evil and Joyce is like you're a bad man get out of here don't talk to my daughter like I, you're worried for her and like you're saying like I feel like 
so much of what makes the show work is Joyce because the show exists on the premise of teenage girl who kills vampires and your your relationship with your mom is like such a big part of being a teenage girl otherwise you only have like Buffy's failing school and it's like okay but who cares yes well I care about her grades and like I feel like that's an important piece but Joyce makes it all come together <laughs> I agree and I mean she has been more utilized in the back half of season two um so I feel that that is what makes me think some sort of confrontation between the two of them is coming mm-hmm. No comment. I can't. Yeah, no comment. I'm, no un- comment. I'm afraid to say a single word. Um, they have been talking. Like I feel like I agree. She because she was she disappeared for like a while, and now she's back. That or gallery is popping off, or it's doing way worse, and she's not there as frequently. Oh, I forgot no, she works she, at an art. She gallery. owns an art gallery. Oh, she she started up her art gallery in season one, and she was the only employee and that's why she was gone she was really getting her small business up off the ground in the first half of season two but it's been wildly successful that she's been able to hire a team so that she can go back to raising her daughter i that I love that, that is my mind canon i love it's that for you brilliant <laughs> she's been able to hire a docent and a front desk person, and she's back raising her child. <laughs> um, Marnie's sitting there at the front desk right now. So true. Well, oh well, I didn't want to. Well, did you notice there was a actually there was a girl's cameo in this episode? One of the four. No. Oh. Mike recently finished a girls rewatch mm-hmm. and an actor who was in this episode and who has been in many other episodes of the show, but yeah. Mike has not recognized him as a character. Uh, it appears at least in one episode of girls, I think numerous. Wow. Are you going to clue me in or is this going to be no. uh, a little it's, mystery? It is the, if you know, I keep saying there's this character, Jonathan, who is in the show um, and you, you do not notice him, but I promise you he's been in like at least six episodes at this point. <laughs> okay, Jonathan. Well, don't, 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 Google it. Oh, it's the guy from um, Gilmore Girls. Yeah, yeah, Gilmore Girls is. Uh, oh, yeah. Where, where I. I think of him as he plays the Gilmore Girls. He plays the newspaper pa- guy. Paris's yeah. l- little tiny boyfriend. <laughs> oh. And he's in one of the best episodes of Girls, the Beach House episode. As who? Elijah's ex, I think. Mm. Great. And anyway. he wrote Mockingjay, parts one and two. <laughs> yes. and, and he wrote a uh, Hunger Games film. Wow, he is a real renaissance man. Yes, he has many. He has some Emmys. Well, that's like um, the Dungeons and Dragons movie was written by the guy who's the lead in Freaks and Geeks, and then later was on Bones. Do you know who I'm talking David about? David Boreanaz. <laughs> John Bones, Francis right? Daly. Yes, this man. Another Renaissance man. 
an act, an, a man in the WGA and SAG. It's like, what can't he strike against? I hope he's not a scab. I hope so too. I I would imagine that he's not. I feel, <laughs> based on my zero knowledge of him as a person. Um, th this episode also introduced the concept of I kind of, kind of like the magic as something our characters can do. Uh, like Jenny was researching a spell. She had that shiny orb, and then we also saw Willow doing this ritual to prevent Angel from coming in. I feel like it was before, like, it was something Giles did to fight demons, or Amy did it. And now, like, other characters are doing magic. Yeah, I loved Jenny going to, like, that magic shop, and the guy was sort of giving his act that he gives to Taurus of, like, <laughs> I'm gonna sell you a Ouija board. Um, and then Jenny sort of, like, dropped the hints that she was in on the joke. And he was like, oh, he dropped his accent. He's like, oh, you're a real magician. Like, let me show you the real goods here. Um, I love uh, a deepening mythology and seeing sort of the everyday characters being more involved than you would think. Another season two little background plot. Yeah, it's like it makes it makes sense that there would be this magic shop in this town where there are so many seemingly witches and supernatural creatures. And now we are introduced to that. Yes. Um, and then, yes, Willow was doing the the enchantment to block Angel from coming into the house. And, and Cordelia's car. And Cordelia's car. <laughs> she was very concerned about the car. That's... Even though she was willing to switch cars with her grandma. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, like, that's, that's more, like... That's more of a precaution than like Buffy and Willow took. Willow realized that Angel had been in her house and she was like, okay, well, I'm going to go to Buffy's and like her parents, are good, I guess, are just at home. Yeah. And then I thought it was interesting that, I mean, we have discussed how inane this Angel curse is, but it seemed very simple for Jenny to find a way to reverse it. It took her about five minutes in the show. But it was in a language nobody knows. She had so to run she, a program. <laughs> she created ChatGPT. So she, well, who was that guy? He was the one who said he didn't agree. The magic shop owner was like, I don't trust computers. He, I We mean, should have listened to him. There's demons in the internet. Why should we trust the computers? Are we all aware of... Um, Robia Lamort, the actress who plays Jenny Calendar, what journey she went on after after appearing on Buffy? No, she became a born again Christian, and no. she like is like apparently like regrets uh, her involvement in Buffy to some degree. I well, think, pretty uh, much every actress who appeared in Buffy, <laughs> born but again specific, Christian or not, but specifically because of like the the, the demons of it all. Ugh, that's so disappointing. Yeah. So, um, that's just a fun fact, and I do like to trot that one out. If you look her up, she's, I'm sure she's doing well. Um, but she took quite the left turn and like completely left acting to what I know, um, to be Christian. 
Her so Instagram her. does have a highlight of about the 25th anniversary of Buffy. So, you know, so she's maybe still... she's come around on it a bit. I just know oh. for a while, a while ago, she was like, don't she... want to hear about it. In 2019, she was in an anti-abortion movie. Boo! <laughs> but she's still willing to make money off of signing autographs from Buffy yeah. the Vampire Slayer. So that's, you know, slay for her. Yeah, good for her. <laughs> Oh, yeah, see, she's doing her signings. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, we don't stand. Um, oh, yeah, her Instagram looks very cursed. We stand um, Jenny. We don't stand, stand Robia Lamar. Death <laughs> yeah. of the author, you know. <laughs> Death of the girly. Um, yeah. But she did do it. She got the orb of Thessala. And she got a computer program to learn an, an ancient language and translate it perfectly, supposedly. She put it on a floppy disk. Very important. This is the Flop only is show. Right. This must be the only show where a floppy disk is like so important. Like to the point where like this we get a floppy disk like cliffhanger in this episode. That floppy disk is lost. We are never gonna see that again. <laughs> that like is it in between the desk and the liminal space i feel like floppy disks were like such a dis like such a short period of time where like average everyday people were using them right i wonder if we were just on like the very tail end of floppy disks and i feel like my parents use them my parents had them i remember having them in the house growing up but it was like yeah. one of those things that was in the house we had stuff on floppy disks but i i never had a reason to use a floppy disk myself so i think yeah. that's kind of i imagine where Our that technology disconnect. sits for us that's oh i think i'm just getting it confused with the beeper where like beepers were only in use for like four four years <laughs> outside of hospitals um but oh, yeah maybe just, someone can oh sorry I didn't no go I was going to say, maybe someone can leave a comment about the history of floppy disks if they want to inform us. Didn't someone do that about beepers? They did. Yeah. We learned a lot about beeper <laughs> codes. Sorry, I did have to just look up Robia Lamore. She got became a born-again Christian after an encounter with a highway biker gang. She was looking for a sign from God, and then the Hell's Angels showed up, and they had, one of them had a cross on their leather jacket, and it said, "We ride for Jesus." And then that she became a Christian after that. So sorry, just had to add that detail because that's very funny. I, I'm speechless. I, <laughs> I don't know. No words. No thoughts. <laughs> it sounds, yeah, it sounds fake, but allegedly, that was her moment. Um, that's yeah. That's that's it for my Robia Lamort report. Another interesting thing Jenny did in this episode was charge Willow with filling in for her as okay, a that's sub crazy. because she was yes. going to be late for school, and then she wasn't late for school. <laughs> like, does the magic shop only open as Sunnydale High is starting their first period? <laughs> and also, there there are substitutes. Like, <laughs> the the substitute wouldn't know as much as Willow. Okay, <laughs> there are substitutes, and you would think that after she died, they would get a real substitute, but the final scene, or like the scene with Willow, she's like, hey guys, Principal Snyder asked me to fill in like until the real sub can come. It's like... That's so cruel. What? <laughs> what? And I feel like... 
I mean, we've definitely seen that other people at Sunny, like other students at Sunnydale are skilled with the computer. Like some of them can, like those two nerds were interfacing with Moloch. Well, both of them are dead now, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> so they're oh, they're all... both dead? Yeah, yeah. So they don't think they made it. Not in a tragic Jenny Calendar death way, in a you know one, one-off episode character death way. Got it. Um, well, Cordelia knows what she's doing. Cordelia could teach a computer class. <laughs> she hit deliver. And she would certainly have more authority over the student body than Willow. True. Willow was really concerned about people not respecting her authority, and I think that's a reasonable fear. Willow is not <laughs> yeah. very commanding. She's very mousy. But she did dress up in her best teacher cosplay for the moment. I feel like that was... She was dressing up like Jenny in her honor, or her best Jenny impression. I feel like I mean how do Mike, how do you feel about the loss of Jenny as a role on the show? Like I, I know we love the character, but it's like I feel like with Jenny going, you know, she knew so much about magic and co- computer stuff. And I feel like that's a place where the show exists. Like Jenny was the show in a way, whereas it was like the combination of it being the nineties and magic being real. And now it's like with that character gone, I'm like Yeah, I think it was I think it's disappointing because now we sort of revert back to Giles being the only adult in the know, and he's going to be sort of like the information guy going, or at least for like the next period, um, he's going to be sort of like the authority figure um, for the Scooby gang. But I also um, problematically see it as them sort of making way for Willow to step into like a more active role in the group because they've shown that Willow has an affinity for the sort of this the quote-unquote same skills as Jenny so they don't need two of them especially if they're both women and this this is me talking as Joss Whedon yeah. not yeah, as of course many. of course <laughs> no of course I mean yeah and I mean episode, they're like Jenny's like I I love Giles she's like oh my god I can't believe I said that and then it's like literally just set up so that it's tragic that she dies yeah and then they have the whole like I need to, like I need to make it right with Buffy and then she gets her like closure with Buffy where Buffy's like we're fine you need to make it right with Giles or whatever um so she could die. So she could die. She had her resolution. And it did, like, at the at the very end, it did seem like they were resolving things, and that's why it's tragic. And it's, you know, a dead woman for dead the sake woman. of a man's emotional journey, like you said at the top of the episode, Mike. A yeah. tale as old as time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the... The whole like and the just the way they add the ro- like romance to her death is like I mean I know that was Angel's doing not Joss Whedon's doing but it just like it just really like truly so cruel like not only is she just killed in a very brutal way literally had her neck snapped um, but just this l- added layer of cruelty of like teasing their love is just so ugh. it's great but it's awful. Wouldn't have, it would have been so gooped if they had killed off Giles instead and Jenny steps in. And she is like, yeah, that they're like, kill off the man to further the woman's emotional plot. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that. that would have been feminism. <laughs> <laughs> 
But speaking of like the final placement, like Angel killed Jenny, set up Giles's house to be like all romantic flower petals left uh, Jenny in his bed. But it's like, I don't think we had seen Angel be invited into Giles's house before this. It's like, where was that scene? I'd love to see what the, those two were getting up to at Giles's house <laughs> when no one else was around. Maybe he has a sign that says all who seek knowledge may enter right out front. <laughs> mm. that, that seems like something seems Giles like something would, would have. have. Yeah, It's probably on his doormat. Oh yeah, I wonder, okay, according to Angel's rules, since there's a sign outside that says that in Latin, okay, if you had like a welcome, like a, a mat <laughs> that said welcome on it, does that count? Could an angel, I mean, could a vampire enter your house if, just from that? Maybe. But I don't think so. But then going back to your previous point, Sam was like, when did Angel go into Giles's house? Like this part of the episode happened after they had already like sort of vampire proofed all of their houses. So wouldn't Giles remember that, hey, I've invited Angel into my house. I should probably do the spell in my own house too. I looked I guess it up. Wasn't I was worried. I was curious how many people have asked this question on Reddit. It's a lot. And someone made the joke of um, he didn't actually get invited and he just was able, the window got left open and the angel was able to like strategically like throw all those things in, like throw all the, um, but I guess like the logic, I, at some point, I think it's mentioned that angel borrows a book from Giles is what I saw. So I think there was a book that wasn't in the library that was only in Giles's home. And so Giles let him in is what we're supposed to believe. Sure. And like, of course, I believe that that occurred and it <laughs> makes sense logically. This is, these, we aren't seeing the all of the adventures of Buffy and Co. Uh, it's just funny to me because it's sort of like that was the whole setup of the episode. They were so afraid because we had seen Angel be in their houses mm -hmm. before. And then the crux of the episode is that he <laughs> is still able to get into Giles's home, but we've literally never seen him there before. But I have to say it, Giles's house still looks beautiful. Even with a dead woman inside of it? Yeah, that's part of the ambiance. Speaking of ambiance of that scene, Christine, you pointed out that there is an opera song playing. Yes. Famously, you are engaged to opera fiance. Nicole, what does she have? Did she have anything to say about the song? I didn't. Well, I didn't have to like ask because this mm. is like, I have seen this. It's from Lab OM. I was in Lab OM with her. So mm -hmm. I'm kind of an expert here. Um, yeah, it's the aria from the end of Act One of Lab OM. It is the aria that um, our doomed lovers. Uh, Mimi and Rodolfo sing as, as they've realized they're in love. Um, I mean, it's an opera, so they realize they're in love at the end of the first scene in which they meet. Um, so it's like what they sing at the end of the act. Um, I, it's, I mean, it's a very like basic opera to pick of like, it's bohème, um, but it is in line with the theme of like really like, Angel picked that aria specifically because it is, like a love, it's a love aria. They're declaring their love for each other, but it's with the knowledge of that. Spoiler alert! At the end of Blabohem, Mimi dies, um, and that is the big tragedy of that opera. Is she dies of tuberculosis? Um, so that's it's really not terribly interesting beyond it really like mirroring exactly what happens 
uh, to our, our girl in this episode, except neck snapped, not uh, tuberculosis. Or AIDS in the rent. Yes, in, in rent, as 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 uh, we know, Boem rent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um. And okay, Giles getting off pretty scot free, having found the body of his ex girlfriend yeah. dead in his house, and then calling the police. Seems like he, the police were ready to let him go the same exact second they got there. They were like, "We're gonna ask you some questions," and then it's like, "Are you?" <laughs> Yeah, well, I, the that police was, will believe a man. And I don't remember how much this has come up yet, but the Sunnydale police, it is <laughs> um, very clear that they are quite a mess of an organization. That is one of the f- funny recurring bits of Buffy is just how bad the police are. And they're in on vampire stuff. Yes. So this could be an, uh, this could have been a, a good time for them to like hint more at that, Mike, like yeah. you were talking about. I don't need the cops involved in my shows. <laughs> Me either, but you know, you you're always talking about that that scene in the third episode of the season where Principal Snyder and the police know it was vampires. Yeah, but does Giles know that the police know? It seems he like could... no. <laughs> yeah, and where is Principal Snyder? He has not been seen in at least fourteen episodes. He's, he's booked and busy. He's got a school to run. <laughs> You would think, because I remember in like the first episode of this season, he got like the special and also guest starring whoever the actor plays, whoever the actor Shimmerman. Yeah, that one. <laughs> That's the one. I wouldn't know. I haven't seen him in fourteen episodes. You get the, you you get Juliet Landau as Drusilla, and that's it. Do, can they only afford one? Also starring. Yeah. Yeah. And they just give it to our girl every time. <laughs> I think that's fair if that's the trade off. But, Mike, speaking of Drusilla, I guess, and Jenny, like literally yesterday, two days ago, you had like you, uh, some website you were on had an article that was like best Buffy episodes ranked or whatever. And it was like a collage of a bunch of characters. And <laughs> you, you were like, so rude that Jenny isn't on here. <laughs> <laughs> It, and it is. Like, I mean, especially for like the first major character death and somebody who had a major impact on the plot for the first 20% of the series run, uh, it's pretty fucked up. But maybe the collage makers do not support the actress's choices post-Buffy. <laughs> I'm sure that's what it was. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm choosing to believe. So I found out what our guy was too busy, what Armin Shimmerman was too busy doing. Did you know he, you got, either of you play Bioshock? No, I don't know what that is. He plays like one of the main, he voice, he's done a ton, he's booked and busy, this actor. He does a ton of video game voice acting, I found out. Um, So I'm going into headcanon that uh, he was uh, busy in uh, doing Bioshock things, even though the timeline does not line up. I, it seems like he was probably busy doing Star Trek Deep Space Nine things. That's probably what it was. Because <laughs> this, I think this is, is ending at the same time as... Listen, I just found something exciting and I was trying to tie it in. Um, <laughs> you guys should play Bioshock, it's good. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway, indeed. Um, <laughs> yeah, I... 
like we've always said, we need a larger network of secondary characters, and now they've killed off the best one. Yeah. And she was like, becoming main. She was becoming main. I I was really thinking she was going to get in that main credits for season three. I mean, and maybe she still will, because I was texting you after I watched the episode. She could be a vampire. She could have vampire blood in her veins as she was killed. Is that how it works in this world? She it's she has to suck his blood, and he would have to suck her blood. Yeah. Mm. We didn't see that. No, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. And she did get her th- neck snapped uh, as manner of death. Um, so I don't know if it's like, yeah, it's not looking good for her because if she was dead after her neck snapped, it's not looking good. Right, she wouldn't have been able to suck the blood. Yeah, the sucking is important. Mm, that's too bad. The timeline of Angelus's night really, um, it's a, it's a, it seems like pretty involved. Basically. Here's the day for Angelus. He he's with Drusilla when she gets a vision, very timely vision that someone is working on a spell against them, and then she goes to the magic shop, finds out about someone buying an orb of Thessala. I guess Drusilla then runs back and tells Angelus that what she has learned. He puts it together. He's like, "It's got to be Jenny at the school," uh, and so he goes to the school, chases Jenny, kills Jenny. Brings Jenny to Giles's house, and then then Angelus like sets it all up at Giles's house, and then must run over to Buffy's house so that he can be there when Giles, I guess, uses his one phone call from jail to call Buffy to tell her that Jenny's died, and then like is back home when Giles gets back home so that Giles can go and beat him up. Angelus went like all over town to like eight different locations in a six-hour period. Yeah, Sunnydale can be as big or as small as the script calls for. That's the rule of the show. Because I feel like they the last episode was Valentine's Day, right? And I feel like they also were moving around a lot in that episode at night. True. No docks to be seen. Yes. <laughs> At those the, the the inland city of Sunnydale where they have a harbor, uh, we haven't seen the harbor again. <laughs> I forgot about Quite the yet. harbor. Um, this but the the end of the episode, like Buffy rescues Giles from the fight, and then Giles like you shouldn't have come. This wasn't your fight. I was so glad that Buffy punched him. <laughs> it's like she shut up. <laughs> yeah, and I also really loved how. And we've talked about this a lot in season two uh, and even in season one, just like the Buffy and Giles relationship, uh, just getting stronger and them learning to be more vulnerable with each other and like honest about their needs. Well, she was very honest with, she was, she was saying like, I can't do this alone. Like I need you to help me do this Um, because he was on a suicide mission to like, he was never going to be able to kill Angelus, Andrew, and Spike. Um, so yeah, I appreciated Buffy saying that. Yeah, it was pretty immature of him to be so like angry that he like needed to go die, basically. 
He yeah. was blinded by passion, as Angela said. I'm not going to do the whole monologue, but it consumes us. Without passion, we truly be dead or whatever, I think is. What uh, would happen if the Watcher dies? Like, we, we sort of know what happens when a Slayer dies and that a new Slayer is activated. Does Buffy get a new Watcher if Giles is killed off? Well, I don't think we know at this point what would happen, but I'm pretty sure in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie, when her Watcher died... Like it's a similar thing where he, they, that gets passed on to someone else, but I can't remember. They call we, someone in from like the temp agency. <laughs> like, but we do know that Kendra has her own watcher, so mm -hmm. maybe he'd start pulling double duty. Mm. I mean, maybe Willow could step into the role as a sub. She seems to know how to do everything. <laughs> She's apparently who we ask to do things when we needed someone in a position of authority. Well, Mike, what do you think would happen if Giles had died? Um, Buffy would go on a fucking rampage. Um, no, I think she would get another Watcher, and there would be tension because the Watcher would be like, you need to do things this way. And Buffy would be like, well, I've been doing it this way, and it's been working well. And that would be a great plot. Sorry, Giles. Giles dying, you know, a man dying to extend the emotional arc of a woman could be something interesting. Mm -hmm. Are all? Do you think all the Watchers are men and all the Slayers are women? Because all the Slayers are women in the universe, right? Are they doing the whole gender binary? Well, what do you think? Well, yeah, what do you think? We don't know. I, you know, I unfortunately think that's probably the case. Oh, wait, no, but Giles... No, because didn't Giles say his grandma was a watcher? Yes, for okay. sure. So I've been read by myself. And there's like the question of like how many watchers there are and like why do we need more than like a few is very unclear. <laughs> what like, are they, they doing? <laughs> Giles in the in the in the scene where they go to Jenny's gravestone. Giles is like, my time as a watcher, I've lost many good friends, but Jenny was the first one that I loved. First of all, Buffy died last season, you don't love Buffy. Um, but it's like, how many people, how many watchers are dying and like doing what? I guess they're fighting demons? I think that's the only explanation. Because <laughs> like, if, if there's only one Slayer, well now we know there's more than one, but if there's only one Slayer, like, and she can only be in one place at once. Like, hopefully those other watchers are in other places doing things and not just like hanging out. Yeah, it just, I know I've asked this question on the pod before. To If I was a vampire in the Buffy universe and I knew the Slayer was in Sunnydale, I would not go to Sunnydale. <laughs> um, so I don't understand why they keep going. Like, I would go to like fucking Mongolia. Like where, where are you going to find me now? <laughs> like if there are our girls in California. <laughs> that definitely would be the logical thing to do. And I'm sure there are demons in other parts of the world. The ex the in-universe explanation is that the Hellmouth is a center of mystical convergence and draws demons and witches and people like to it just like passively yeah it's like it, it drives up the property value of all the houses around the, the uh the hell mouth and makes them all move there 
feel like there are plenty of people to drain outside of Sunnydale. That's fair. That's fair. But then you wouldn't... But does the... oh, I'm sorry. sure that Sunnydale has a very active vampire community, as we've seen. You know, it's sort of like moving to a, a big city for queer people. You know, gotta, get, gotta <laughs> yeah. go where there are people who understand you. I get that. But, okay, then this... I'm going to continue this discussion, this thread. Does the <laughs> Hellmouth move? Because hasn't the, there are slayers in, like... So, okay, so if Buffy died and stayed dead, does that mean Kendra has to move to Sunnydale? Or would the Hellmouth, like, move to where the Slayer is? What are you... It's up to you. Would, what are you thinking about that? <laughs> You're the person who doesn't... Hasn't seen it. You know, it seems like the Hellmouth opened when Buffy became the Slayer. Is that right? Am I? What's the order of operations there? Or like, did she move? She was already the Slayer before she moved to Sunnydale. Yes. Yeah. And then yes. the Hellmouth opened. I I don't think that they've said that. I don't know. So she could have just stayed in LA. And she, she was could have fighting... just commuted. She could have just commuted to Sunnydale. With the traffic in LA, um, we but we do know that she was fighting like vampires and demons in LA before she moved to Sunnydale. Mm. I guess we don't really know how close Sunnydale is to LA and like what the radius of the Hellmouth is. Like, does it encompass LA? I don't know. And I think it's maybe fair to also do the like, like goofy thing of being like, well, we know there are like prophecies at play in in this universe. Um, you know, the titular prophecy girl. Uh, but we, so it would, it's not like I guess the mystical explanation could be just like the Slayer ends up where she's needed, like at a given time. Yes, and I also feel like. Maybe, I mean, this is like putting more power in the Hellmouth perhaps than is we've seen justified by the show. But like, it seems like there's an argument to be made that like the existence of the Hellmouth put into like action the cause and effect that led to Buffy having to move there because it is the center of mystical convergence and they were already so close to it living in LA that like the universe made Joyce and her Buffy's dad get a divorce and Joyce had to move to Sunnydale because Buffy's the Slayer and then she went with her like that's you know a theory I think it would be cool if the Hellmouth moved where the new Slayer was like if Buffy died then it moves to Jamaica but like she came back or to like, Ireland, so wherever Kendra was from. Wherever Kendra was from, yes. Did Buffy have a watcher before she met Giles? In the in, in the movie, at least. But I don't know if it's been in, talked about in the show. I believe so. Yes, I believe that. Like it's been mentioned offhand. Like, cause we've been, we've, it's been mentioned offhand in like the first season, maybe about like the things that happened in LA, and I think we. Like, I honestly can't even remember if we've, like, know what happened to her watcher, but I think it was mentioned, like, that she did have one. Mm -hmm. I think that... With the gym. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. that the 
not that everything that happened in the movie is canonical to the show, but I think they're working with the understanding that people may have seen. The, I mean, I don't know why they would have this idea because that movie flopped, but like maybe people have seen it. And so they are going with that. Maybe Buffy's previous watcher died because that's what happened in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so she had to go. She was drawn to Sunnydale to her new watcher. Well, that's where Joyce was able to buy a gallery. Yeah. Giles put that together for her. Giles made sure a gallery was open for Joyce's mom. What if one day we see the gallery and it's the same set as the bronze slash vampire lair and it's just like an industrial warehouse? That could be fun. Who of the secondary characters that you know who do you think is the most likely to be in the main credits of the show? Mm. Mm. Spike and Drew, if they survive the season. Mm. Who knows? That's my guess. Good guess. Thank you. Uh, Anything else anybody wants to mention about the episode before we move into our segments? Rip those fish. Oh, yeah. That was fucked up. That always makes me really upset. Willow did not seem that upset, though. No, she gets over it so quickly. Very, like, a similarly unfazed reaction to, like, when Buffy tells Joyce, I'm sleeping with a college guy. Like, oh. Right. I mean, yeah, because even in the moment <laughs> she's downplaying it where she's like, for the first time, I'm glad that my parents didn't give me that puppy I wanted. And it's like, okay, so you don't really care. You're like, it would be worse if it was a dog. Like, those fish. <laughs> Willow, not an animal rights activist. She would wear fur. Probably, yeah. Um, I also loved I mean, the, for the couple seconds where Giles is really beating up Angel, that was fun. Yeah. And I feel like Buffy got... Oh, well, this is getting into my... I'll, I'll save it for the segments. Great. I'm glad Buffy's ready to kill Angel. It's weird that... I mean, I know that her and Jenny were close by law of her being a character on the show, but now Buffy's like, I'm ready to kill Angel now that Jenny's dead. It's like... Well, did you really care that much about her? No, she was pissed at Jenny. <laughs> but, and I did love that we got the TV show exclusive motion of someone finding out bad news and then sliding down the wall. Buffy, Buffy hung up, Buffy gave the phone to Willow and was like, <laughs> and dropped down to the floor. She practiced that one on SNL the week before. <laughs> um slay well then let's move to our segments first up we have biggest slay christine what was the moment of the episode that made you say slay i i didn't like it but i do do think the drama of the discovery of the body is a slay like objectively do not approve of it but objectively i have to recognize um you know angelus was he was you know, he was doing some theater, he was doing some drama, and I appreciate it. I get that. Yeah, I, it, it's so, and it's so, 
because we know she's not she's dead so we're just waiting all, all through that time for what the bedroom is going to be the drama uh mike what's your biggest slay okay so it's a, a conversational slay um jenny goes to school after she goes to the magic shop and she and buffy run into each other and buffy is like i know you feel bad about what happened and jenny's like i do and then there's a beat and buffy's like good <laughs> she just said it so coldly i was like i love the sleigh ended i can yeah i can't died. believe she didn't die in that scene <laughs> she did in my version my biggest sleigh i have two one there's a shot of jenny holding the orb of vesla that is so iconic uh and it's like glowing and she's like holding it in her hand i put it up on the twitter already uh <laughs> is like and it's like a close-up on her face with the orb it's like that is what i want every show to look like <laughs> woman holding glowing orb uh ready to <laughs> do a spell um and then my second biggest sleigh is like buffy and angel fighting Buffy is like unloading on him for so long and it's so good. She's like slamming him into the metal railings on the walkway and like just like absolutely beating the hell out of him. Um, and it ruled. I, the the end of that altercation made me laugh a lot though because Angel's like, uh, are you really just gonna leave Giles here to die in the fire? And then Buffy's like, oh no. And then Angel like picks up her legs and like throws her off of the catwalk. Uh, <laughs> and it really made me laugh. Um, moving on to fashion moment, Christine, was there a outfit or article of clothing that oh, you'd like yeah. to discuss? I um, I had to like think back and like consult some images, but I do, I loved um, in the scene, she maybe wears it more, but it's specifically in the scene when uh, Calendar is asking Willow to like substitute, Willow is wearing a light blue and yellow um, butterfly sweater and has a uh, a uh, smiley face like backpack on. Mm -hmm. That's the look. That is the look. And she's also got like a colorful necklace as well. Oh, and the skirt looks nuts. Um, looks like a very, it's a very, very busy skirt. Um, so yeah, that's my pick. I, I will always support an overly busy Willow outfit. I feel and like they they are really going for funky backpacks this season that that has been the note from the the art department the, or, the oral history i want the most of buffy is like the people who are dressing willow <laughs> like how they found every i want an oral history of how they found every single article of clothing why they decided you know this is what needs to be worn in this scene because some of the choices are absolutely crazy <laughs> I, yeah, we really, if I had to choose between interviewing Sarah Michelle Geller for the podcast and like the costume lead on the show, I would have a really hard time choosing. Um, Mike, did you have a fashion moment? I did. And I feel like it is more of a set decoration moment. Um, so we get another view of Giles's beautiful house. Um, <laughs> last time we saw it, we noted. I think it was our guest Ray who noted the beautiful stained glass lamps that Giles has. But this episode, I was really taken away by some of the tiling details in his house. Like there was some very beautiful tiling around his fireplace. Um, and then as he's like walking up the stairs to find Jenny's body, 
there's just like beautiful tiling, like sort of lining the stairs as you're going up. And I just thought that was a very nice touch. Really um, fashion inspo for us when we move in together, which we might have already happened by the time this episode comes out, question mark? Mm. I think so. Whoa. Check um, out the tiles in our new apartment. Yeah. My fashion moment, it's a rare Xander W for me. Uh, he was wearing this like red and green sweater and these like plaid pants. And I felt like it was just a really well put together outfit. And I have to give it up when, you know, I I, I have to own it. You know, Xander did something right for once. Hmm. That doesn't sound right to me. Yeah, I don't, I'm going to need a fact check on that. <laughs> it, it, it's serving to me. Uh, final segment, Xander slander. <laughs> don't worry, I'm ready to put the kibosh on the Xander praise. Uh, Christine, what was the worst Xander moment of the episode? God, um, I just hate how it's one of the ones was like less was more just like you but then the one this episode that really stands out is just how he's mean he is to buffy about angel becoming evil like kind of like well i could have told you this would happen and it's like yeah like i don't remember this towards the end when like giles is wrapped up and then he says something about me i can't remember specifically because it's like fuck you um but just like xander kind of taking not pleasure in it but you know choosing now to make a stand about how we always hated angel it's like okay come on dude you didn't know this would happen i will dovetail my xander slander with you on that uh, he's like I, I really should be praised for not saying I told you so sooner than now, but I told you so. Like <laughs> I have always hated I've always hated Angel and didn't like that he was around. And so I win. Ha ha. Like if Giles wants to go kill him, good for him. And it's like, okay, you're not even thinking things through right now. Giles will die. <laughs> yeah. And he wants to be the only man in Buffy's life. So he's okay with that. Yes. If Angel and Giles died uh, in a man-on-man -man conflict, Xander would be thrilled. He would never slide down the wall after finding out about that. No. And I mean, he, I mean, he is inordinately lucky for how awful he is. You know, he's dating Cordelia, and he's still got Buffy sexy dancing with him at the bronze. It's very strange. Yeah. Uh, he is the least believable piece of the show, despite there being vampires and witches. It's like, these girls would never hang out with him. Christine, I mean, Mike, do you have a Xander slander moment? Yeah, the next day, so Willow goes to her house and all her fish are dead. And she has to go to Buffy's because she's being stalked by Angel who wants to kill her. And they have a very traumatic night, like probably staying up all night at Buffy's house, making sure Angel doesn't attack them. And the next day at school, they're they're like, yep, I, I went to Buffy's last night because Angel was targeting me. And all Xander has to say to that is like, did you guys take sexy pictures at the sleepover? Like, that was my runner up. <laughs> that was like, my runner up too. Great. And it's like, we've said this. I have said this probably every episode of season two. Um, I am a broken record. He is, they're not making him as awful as they were in season one, but he still, they still managed to write like a really awful line for him every episode and it's intentional. And I think 
the writers think it's i mean maybe this is just like 90s boy humor but they're like he's kind of just like the pestery younger brother of the group and he's gonna make like dumb sex jokes and the girls aren't gonna actually take him seriously but it's not realistic that they would continue to hang out with him i agree i yeah he's like being funny 90s character uh sort of like what if you girls were making out right now uh and it's like i don't know it's this season they've sometimes had characters respond to the one-off jokes that other characters are making and sometimes they're not and i feel like it would be really great if willow and buffy were like dude literally come on not right now we are really upset and we didn't sleep at all like <laughs> we were up all night because we thought angel was going to come in and kill us like congrats that you never invited him into your house but we're really scared yeah and it feels like a weird disconnect based on the last episode where xander like helped cast that spell where all the girls in sunnydale fell in love with him and he had buffy and willow and every other woman in town like coming on to him and he decided he like pushed back on all of that and now he's just sort of, it felt like there was an opportunity for the character to actually grow from that episode and like move beyond some of this like juvenile humor but the writers have just sort of regressed back to what happened beforehand period <laughs> he didn't learn a damn thing and he's still dating cordelia and I feel like there was, I wish there was more Cordelia. Oz was not in this episode at all. There was a lot going on, but I, f I would have liked their perspective on things. Yeah. I well, always, I always want to check in with Cordelia. If, uh, like if we have a scene and Cordelia's opinion is not solicited, it is a wasted scene in my opinion. Cordelia was wearing a beautiful jacket when they found out that Jenny died. I'll note that. And then I feel like we never, <laughs> like, we never got full closure on if we were supposed to, like, was Cordelia supposed to be worried about the angel breaking into her car or not? Like, I was never clear on if he, like, if he could just break into any car or if this was real. No, I like it. I think the the joke is that the car is a non-issue because she doesn't live there. Like, if she lived in her car. I think that would be an issue. It's more of like someone's home. You keep it's like, so I think the, people don't live in the school. But did they, did they actually have to invite? I don't know. They never did a spell on the school. Oh well, no, because in school hard, all of the vampires just like run in there. So I think the school's fine. But right. be, only because there's a sign. Because supposedly, a sign. Yeah, I would love to see them destroy that sign and then do a ritual on the school see but that and i know we're at the segments and at the end of the episode but that just gets back to the like when angel shows up in jenny's room and she's like shocked that he's there like how could you even get in here it's like vampires have been breaking into the school literally every episode and you haven't done a single thing to change that True. He's been to the school before, <laughs> like like two like last episode when he turned evil. He was in the school. I I actually now can't stop thinking of times he's been in the school. This writer 
hasn't watched any episodes of the show. Ty King looks like T.Y. King. <laughs> Thank you, King. Thank you, King. <laughs> King. But, yeah, I guess she was just shocked. She, yeah. Out of, she was out so, of her wits. She was so deep in the magic that she was not paying attention. Will Angel get his soul back? Will anyone discover the floppy disk? Probably. Would they have made a whole five-season show about Evil Angel? Maybe, Maybe they don't find the floppy disk until <laughs> the last season. Maybe. Anything possible. Um, any final thoughts? Okay, wait. Xander said in this episode, I say faster, pussycat, kill, kill. And I googled what that because I was like, what does that even mean? And it's like some movie from the 50s. And it's like, what? It's a big cult movie. I do mm. doubt he would know like like it's just it I I only like found out about that movie like maybe I guess maybe Xander's a guy who like went down like down like an exploitation film like VHS rental rabbit hole. Uh but I was impressed that he pulled that reference out because I didn't see that for him. I somehow knew you would know what that is. Um, I knew about it because I was really into Quentin Tarantino for a long time, and I still like some of his movies, and I do know he really... I learned that about that movie because I believe that was one of the inspirations behind his movie Death Proof, which is one of his best movies. Anyway. Slay. Slay. Christine, thank you so much for being here. This was lovely. Oh, we never even asked why this episode. Oh, I just because it is like the pivotal um, moment in the show. This is like people. I people say like, okay, Buffy doesn't really start until Angel becomes bad, and I would like kind of agree. But like, I would say this is more the moment where it's like Buffy in the sense of like all the stakes. Like uh, this, just such because he said it's not. This isn't like. I mean, this isn't a particularly like. I would not put this in my like top 10 or 15 episodes, like in terms of like the script and the dialogue and the story or anything, but it is just for what it does in shifting the tone of the show and like really making you feel that sense of imminent danger, I just think is brilliant and it sets up the whole rest of the show for me. So, and I do love Jenny Calendar. I do think Jenny Calendar is like a, uh, a great uh, short, like a short lived supporting character that does make an impact. Um, and is remembered like it just everyone remembers the first time they saw Jenny Calendar die. Like that is like true. Like this is just such like a watershed moment uh, for like anyone who watches the show. Is like like Mike, you've gotten you've 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 gone you through your like true first rite of passage of Buffy. I would say. And wow, which is, podcasting which is for for thirty episodes wasn't enough. <laughs> now you're in Jenny it. Die. Yeah, now you're like fully in it. I would say I this is this is here here on out. This we keep moving the goalposts. We're like, okay, well, season one finale is where Buffy really starts. And then it's like, okay, but the Kendra episodes. And then it's like, okay, Angel turning evil. And now it's like, but actually it's Jenny dying. And now I would, like... say, it's, I would say this is it. Like, okay. I would say this is, this is truly it. Um, it's the series finale when it really yeah. gets going. Once, the, once you do the own. graphic novel continuations, that's when it gets good. No, this no, podcast no, no, will no. be ending before season eight. We will not be discussing <laughs> season eight or beyond. Do you want to talk about centaurs? <laughs> no, um, nor do I, I don't even. 
nothing every single reference i could make to what happens in the season eight comic book here as a joke would is equally bad it's all bad <laughs> um so and then i've actually have just i recently i looked up what happened in the season 10 comic books or 11 or 12 or whatever the like the final one was and it ends horribly so truly there's no reason to ever read one of the comic books uh you know is it worth is there a reason to watch the show tbd remains to be discussed uh I but i say there's a good spin-off comic series featuring certain characters i won't say who because i don't want mike to know like who ends up uh being important in the future or not you'll but, have to, uh, you'll have to text you me that there. along with the other monologues you've done yes. <laughs> um major slide christine is there anything you would like to plug before we go yeah, you follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Xteen Files. You can listen to the Shadow Play Gaze uh, podcast about uh, Revolutionary Girl Utena. Um, you can watch uh, me and Andre, my friend, who appear on the Shadow Play Gaze pretty frequently. We're currently playing through the Utena dating sim game. It's going. We're on round two. Round two is going much better than round one. So we'll see if we will not die in the dating sim um and then uh you can read my writing on inside survivor and uh i'll let sam plug our other joint venture <laughs> well i meant to say this episode and i kind of only because you're on it but it made me think about it it was like this episode was kind of like utana vibes it's like it's giving utana yeah creepy older man there were roses were important like <laughs> you know sort of all over the all over the, and like the the most horrific danger is a realistic danger sort of exactly. thing um mike is there anything you would like to plug we are at buffy boyfriends on twitter and on instagram and i believe those are my plugs major slay follow me at sam stanish on instagram christine and i do an incredible survivor podcast the Bitter Jurors at Bitter Jurors Pod. Don't want to jinx it as it has not been recorded yet, but we have a very amazing finale guest lined up. Uh, and by the time this comes out, that'll have already happened. So, and hopefully better vibes than our finale podcast from the previous season. Uh, hopefully we won't need, you know, group therapy again. And I don't think that there's a possibility of that happening. Um, so yeah, Bitter Jurors Pod at some Stanish. Slay. Um, Christine, thanks again for being here. Next episode is another singular episode. Episode talking killed by death, I believe. Uh, Mike, any predictions about what that episode will be about? Killed by death. Um, Angel kills somebody else because he is death personified. And his name is Angel. Get it? Angel of death. Yeah. Or Jenny comes back. She was killed by death, Angel, is, and now she's back. Is Jenny death. comes back going to be your prediction for every episode going forward? You'll just have to listen to find out. Slay. Uh, amazing. No sign off, as always. <laughs> um, slay, Jenny's bye. coming back. That's our Jenny's coming off. back. <laughs>